Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. And welcome back to another episode of Beyond the To-Do List. I am your host, Eric Fisher, and this is the show where I talk to the people behind the productivity. This week, I'm excited to share with you a conversation I had with Nick Gray. Nick is the author of the book, The Two-Hour Cocktail Party, How to Build Big Relationships with Small Gatherings. And in this conversation, we explore different kinds of ideas for basically throwing a cocktail party. Now, it doesn't have to involve actual cocktails If you don't need that or want that, you can make that available. But the big idea here is to connect with others, to follow through on the structure of hosting a party, why hosting a party is good, how hosting events can be a catalyst, essentially, for personal and professional growth. Nick shares different types of swaps and ideas, such as like book swaps or clothing swaps for these parties. It's a way to bring people together and foster connections. You just never know when one of those connections is going to be something that sparks something that goes off for your future. And how to structure those gatherings when hosting a party to create an environment that encourages meaningful conversations and networking. And we talk a bit about networking stereotypes. We break those down. When it comes to introversion and extroversion and shyness and outgoingness, that basically anybody can host a party using the method he outlines in his book, The Two-Hour Cocktail Party, to build big relationships with these small gatherings. And in fact, we even give a little bit of a challenge at the end of the conversation. So stay tuned for that. So I'll get out of the way and say, enjoy this conversation with Nick Gray. Well, this week, it is my privilege to welcome to the show, Nick Gray. Nick, welcome to Beyond the To-Do List. Hey, we're beyond the To-Do List, and maybe we're beyond networking, if we're going to talk about that. I don't know. I'm excited. Yeah, well, we're definitely going to talk about that. I mean, I want to not just talk about the book the whole way through, but let's throw it out there, and then let's talk some context. Let's get some good kind of ground laid here. So you have a book called The Two-Hour Cocktail Party, How to Build Big Relationships with Small Gatherings. I love networking, but like me, I think a lot of my audience for this show are introverts, and so... I empathize. I I feel you, in other words, people. And I know networking can be hard. You've got to lean in and use long-distance tools like this podcast where Nick and I are talking miles and miles apart. But Nick, I'm curious, what led you to this book? Because this is not your normal thing, or at least at some point you had a catalyst and said, no, I need to do this, and then I need to talk about this. Yeah, I was not always an extrovert or just not good at social stuff. I moved to New York in my mid to late 20s, and I kind of struck out at all these networking events and social events. I would go to these things, oftentimes held in like loud, crowded, dark bars. And 
I'm not good at going up to like random people that I don't know and introducing myself and trying to sound interesting. And I would leave those, those events not really having met anyone and feeling like a loser, kind of like I was doing something wrong, like I was the problem. And certainly there are little skills you can learn to get better at that. But also it wasn't that I was bad at networking. It's that I was going to bad networking events. I kind of joke about this, that like, you know, who does well at these normal networking events? It's like two types of people, extroverts and drunk people. And I was neither of those things. So I started to host my own events. And I was like, look, if these events aren't good, I'm going to learn how to do a good one. And I'm going to get good at that. So I hosted hundreds and hundreds of events in New York City, experimenting to find the perfect formula that really helped me build a world-class network that I then later used to launch a multi-million dollar business. I've since helped other people learn how to do the same exact thing. I've taught over 400 people how to host their first event. Introverts, extroverts, people that have never hosted a party are the ones that usually follow my plan. But that's what I'm obsessed with now. It brings me so much joy. And I spend almost every hour of every day thinking about that. That's awesome. And I can totally empathize with you as well in those networking events where it's dark and loud and you're surrounded by strangers and booze. If all of that, other than maybe the booze for some people, makes you feel uncomfortable, it's like, what am I doing here? We know that the magic most of the time, secretly at event people don't necessarily want to tell you this or admit this, is that the content of the event isn't necessarily the best part of the event. It's the connections with the other humans that you make, and it's those relationships you start and or foster. I mean, that's always one of the best things is when I go to an event and people I already know I know are going to be there. But again, that doesn't create new connections and longer lasting friendships. Yes. That's so funny that you mentioned that. It's funny because conference hosts will work so much on the speakers and the, the narrative and the theme, but then all the benefit comes in the hallway in between sessions and at the meals when you mix and mingle with people. Anyhow, my gist is like I have a little bit of structure to my gatherings. And I think that's what makes them different from the average networking event or happy hour. I think when you give people structure, it actually lets them relax a little bit, especially introverts when they know what to expect. It gives them a little more confidence and certainty towards going to something like this. And when people know the boundaries or the rules, they know how to play the game and the game at my events is like, how many people can I get you to talk to? Because I think any big relationship, any new friendship, business, partnership, even romantic relationships, any one of those starts first at the acquaintance level. The like get to know you. Hey, you're interesting. I want to keep talking to you. That's where everything begins. And that's really what my parties are about is that beginning phase. And see, I see some people saying, okay, if you're calling it a game, I don't think you really treat it as a game. It's not gamification of networking. It's one of those things where I think people are having flashbacks to icebreaker type stuff that they're forced to do in a work setting. And that's not what you're talking about. Exactly. By the way, most people hate icebreakers because most icebreakers are done very poorly. The host is trying to come up with the most creative gotcha question. 
I get this a lot. Oh, I need more icebreakers. I need more ice. I say, I don't think you need more icebreakers. If you think you need a list of 200 icebreakers, you're doing it totally wrong. The purpose of the icebreaker is not the most creative question. And in fact, that's usually really bad. It puts people on the spot. It gives them anxiety. At the beginning of my parties, I want to do an icebreaker that's as easy as possible, that just gets people talking. So one of the questions that I usually ask, I'll just say, hey, say your name, say what you do for work or how you spend your days, and tell me one of your favorite things to eat for breakfast. Now, that breakfast question works. I mean, I can go into the theory behind it. I've done thousands of icebreakers. Anyhow. Yeah, I think that the thing for me is is that if you're not already bought into the idea that the power and the magic is in the hallways at events, and we're basically saying, hey, let's have that, but on your own terms type of a, you didn't pay thousands of dollars for flights and or driving and Ubering and food and housing. If you want to eliminate all that, but get the best out of an event and just have it where you are, that's what this is about. This is about learning to host a party. And again, I know for a lot of people that's scary, but I can tell you over time, even myself personally, as an introvert, I have learned that it is possible to actually, you know what? Let's, let's take 30 seconds. Introvert and extrovert does not equate shy and outgoing. That's just not what that is. A lot of people think that's what that is, but that's not. You could be a shy extrovert. You could be shy around people, but get energy off of those people because you're an extrovert. You could be like me, an outgoing introvert where I don't have any problem meeting new people. I'm not shy about it, but I definitely need my alone time, my solitude to recharge. That's what introversion is. So I think if you look at those things on a matrix, then there's four different types of people. And I'm saying no matter where you find yourself in which of those four boxes on that grid, this is something that is important to you, human connection wise, networking career wise. We found this out to be true as humans over the past, what, three to four years now, how important human connection is. So that's what I want people to start to consider and think about as they're listening through what you're talking about here and how to start to come up with possibilities for, and maybe we should start with types of parties. I think that yeah, a lot of people are thinking, I do drink or I don't drink, so I don't know that a cocktail party or my friends fit into a cocktail party kind of scenario. That's just the name of the book. You've got so much more here than just that type of party. Yeah, I hosted a meetup, a more traditional meetup on Wednesday that really didn't have any cocktails. There was some hard seltzer and beer, but frankly, probably less than 10 cans of alcohol were drank. A lot of people worry that like, oh, a party's too expensive. A party is not too expensive. People drink and eat when they're bored. And I would rather have someone leave my party hungry rather than bored. Many people have this all wrong. Like, oh, I have to feed my friends. I have to feed. Look, I want to eat as much as anybody else. In fact, I want to eat twice as much as everybody else. Probably I'm eating all day. But I believe that a party or a meetup or a happy hour is an opportunity to create those connections. And so whether you call this a party, a happy hour, a cocktail party, a networking event, a meetup, the idea is that we're getting people together to mix and mingle. And it can take different shapes and forms. Just like you said, you could host a housewarming party. You could host a book swap. Book swap, by the way, is like crack cocaine for introverts. I love book swaps. 
I think everybody has books that we want to get rid of, but we also want more new books. We can talk about that. You could host a neighborhood thing. Somebody read my book and said, oh, I use this to host something called Drinks in the Driveway. And now like every month, our neighbors, we all just hang out. So there's a lot of different formats. But what my book is, is really this Nick party method. And that's like my name, N-I-C-K. I can go into what all those letters mean, but it's a formula or a structure or a process for gathering, like an operating system for meetups. I love it. Yeah, let's do that. Let's get into, I definitely want to come back around to, again, giving more ideas on different types of parties. And I definitely want to come back to the book swap because I think that's an amazing idea. I have so many books to give out. (laughs) I should do that one first. (laughs) But what does N-I-C-K stand for? So N-I-C-K stands for the following. N stands for name tags. I stands for icebreakers. C stands for cocktails or mocktails only, no dinner. And then K stands for kick them out at the end. Their party is only two hours long. I love that there's a time constraint. So somebody who, again, maybe wouldn't consider coming if they know they just need to come for that one duration of time. Okay, I can make it that long. That's cool. Again, because even if you're outgoing, but you're introverted and you know you're going to have to recharge, fine. You go in charged and then you come out and you know, okay, I only need to interact for two hours and then I'm good. Setting those expectations is a lot of what I think about for a successful event. And that two-hour time limit does a couple things. Number one, it gets more people to show up on time. Have you ever been invited to like a barbecue on a Saturday at 2 p.m.? And you're like, well, obviously, I'm not going to show up at 2 p.m. I'll show up at 3. Or then you do all these like cultural calculations. You're like, okay, well, the host is from Central America, but then their wife is from here. Obviously, I need to show up three hours late, but I don't want to be offensive. When you have a two-hour party, it compresses the awkward zone. And the awkward zone happens at every single gathering. And it's that first 15 to 30 minutes when not a lot of people are there yet. And the ones that are there, it's like there's not enough energy or momentum for the party to exist on its own. And you as the hosts are like, uh, you're in this weird mode. When you have a two-hour party, it compresses the awkward zone. People know, hey, if I show up an hour late, I'm going to miss an hour of the party, right? So they're much more likely to show up on time. And in fact, folks who read my book, I hear that all the time. They're like, seven people showed up right on time. I was amazed. But it really just helps get the energy going. So number one, it compresses the awkward zone. Number two, you're more likely to get yeses from people. A two-hour party is much easier to say yes to versus a dinner party. It can be kind of open-ended. And then number three is I suggest hosting these parties on non-socially competitive nights. For me, that's Tuesday and Wednesday night. Okay, I can talk about why. But when you host on a Tuesday or Wednesday night and it's only two hours, people know that this is not a blowout bender. They have work, they have school, they have duties to get back to. And so this is a tight time frame of compressed social activity. I don't know, maybe I'm too type A, but I love it. I'm obsessed with it. I love that you're removing the obstacles to the yes, I'll be there right then and there with the time frame as well as doing it on the right night of the week. I love it. Yeah. A lot of removing obstacles to make it as easy as possible for people to show up. Another obstacle that we remove is you don't ask people to bring something. Now, look, I love a potluck or BYOB as much as anyone, but I want to make it as easy as possible for somebody just to stop by. 
So if somebody asks, hey, oh my God, I'd love to come. What can I bring? Then I say, absolutely nothing is required. But if you want a bottle or a can of something that you would drink, that makes it easy for somebody not to feel obligated that they have to bring something. Again, we're just trying to make it as easy as possible to get people to show up. Now, I'm curious if somebody has not been to a Nick party before and they've not had the experience of, oh, no, I've been to a Nick party. And so I know next time I'm invited, I am there. How do you get them to get past that initial like, you know, break the seal and show up for the first time? I give people on the event RSVP page a lot of idea of what to expect. I say, hey, there'll be name tags because I'm bad with names. We'll also do a round of icebreakers because I want to introduce my friends. I list in my book the exact scripts to use in the invitation page. I've found that by giving people a warning of these things, they're much more willing and almost always ready to participate. Where people don't like icebreakers is a surprise icebreaker or surprise name tags. They're like, wait, what? I thought we were watching the Super Bowl. Why do we have name tags? When you let them know the purpose and the why of your party, which generally is just to mix up your different friend groups and connections, it really helps people to know what to expect. I also tier the invitations. And what I mean by that is, since I don't just send somebody a link to the invite, I send them a little note first. I say something like, hey, I'm getting some random friends together on Wednesday night, November 27th. Can I send you the information? Would love to have you and introduce you to some of my friends. And they say yes, because who doesn't want to be invited to a party? I'm not asking them to commit in that moment to come. I'm just saying, hey, can I send you the info? Then when I send them the info, then they see the details. They see other people are coming. They see a little bit about the event. It's a much more welcoming experience. I love it. So what you're doing is, is you're not giving them the call to action up front. What you're doing is, is you're pre-vetting them and gauging their interest first before presenting them the opportunity. Yes, exactly. Ooh, ooh, I like that. I love it. I love it. And that's great because then it means that you're not feeling like you've got to put pressure on them because of their first response. It's more, Hey, I assume you would maybe follow up with the people you give the actual invite to, to check and see if it, since they haven't responded yet to kind of gauge how many people you're going to get, but only that tier, the second tier, not the first tier. That's the thing. You have to collect RSVPs. Many hosts do this spray and pray model of event hosting where like they pick a random date and time and then they blast out the invite and they hope that people can show up. In all my practice of hosting and helping people learn how to host, I found that the number one fear, or you can guess, actually, you guess, what do you think the number one fear for a new host is? I mean, I would guess that it's no one shows up. That's exactly right. A new host is terrified that nobody's going to show up and they're going to have egg on their face or worse that only a few people show up and then it's like, oh my God, I invited this person and like only three people are here. Like, what the heck? And so, so much of my book and my method really involves almost guaranteeing that you'll have over 90% of everybody who says they're going to come actually come. Because that's another thing that not a lot of people talk about. For these free meetups online, meetup hosts, and I've talked to them, are lucky if they get above 40% attendance rate. And so, so much of my work, and I actually did a survey of my hosts, and I had over 93% attendance rate for people that read my book, follow the method. 
because you're doing that double opt-in. You're pre-qualifying them before you send them the info. That's very cool. Okay. What other kinds of things? I mean, obviously that's the invite process. You give them as much information as you possibly can. You're getting past their objections that they may have. But of course, if they've never been to a Nick party before, they're still going to have to experience one first to then say, okay, I'm in on any future Nick parties. That does happen, by the way. A lot of hosts sort of tell me that, oh yeah, their first party, they're like really nervous or they're worried like, oh, are people going to like this? And then when the RSVPs start to come flooding in. They're shocked. They're like, oh my God, like this is awesome. Like people are so excited. I got so many yeses. I think we just underestimate how much people actually want to gather right now. As we're recording this, it's October 2023. I can tell you people are hungry for in-person gatherings to connect, to meet their neighbors, their colleagues, people in their community. They want a well-designed opportunity to do that. And you'll be surprised. Everyone wants to know someone who hosts events and brings people together. You can be that person. It's not that hard. That's like my whole thing. Still searching for a great candidate for your company? Don't search, just match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch that busy work. Instead, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. I wish I had Indeed when I was in the hiring process in roles in the past because it is a slow, arduous headache of a process to find the right people or at least it used to be, join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to find and hire great talent fast. In fact, in the minute I've been talking to you, 23 hires were made on Indeed, according to Indeed data worldwide. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash to-do list. Just go to Indeed.com slash to-do list right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash to-do list. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? (sighs) Well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. So I think if people are sold on this, they're thinking, okay, you know what? I might be interested in this, but I don't know what type of party to have. Am I that unique or interesting, or do I have unique or interesting friends that I think would like each other, even if they don't already know each other? Like, in other words, they're thinking, what are we going to actually do? Again, you you get past that awkwardness, but if you're saying it's two hours, that still feels, for a lot of people, like a daunting amount of time. You're exactly right. And they go to, oh my God, we need a theme. We need this. We need that. We need something. We need a game night. We need to do this. So let's zoom out a little bit and just say that really the purpose of these gatherings is to help all the guests mix and mingle and meet new people. And so you are the central connector. You are the hub. And you know people from different walks of your life. I'll just give you an example. I talked to a guy, Charlie, in North Carolina last week. He hosted his first party. It was amazing. I asked him, who did you invite? 
he said, well, there were some parents from our kids' school. There were some neighbors that we'd been wanting to connect with. And then I had some people that were old colleagues or current colleagues. And those were kind of the three buckets, the parents, the neighbors, and then his work folks. And he said he had about six people come, so three couples approximately from each of those groups. And he was the linchpin. He was the central. He said, I was so surprised who got along with who. I thought that I knew, but I was surprised. Some of the people I never thought would get along hit it off and ended up having long, deep conversations. I can't stress this point enough. The purpose of the party, when you can fill the room with, let's say, 18 people, there's going to be enough connection and conversation for people mixing and mingling. And you're going to let people know, hey, the purpose of this party is that I've met all these interesting people here in town. I just want to get everybody in a room to mix and mingle. Now, the party actually has, and the book shows minute by minute play down of what happens. You're going to lead about two and a half rounds of icebreakers that serve to add a little bit of structure. And that structure is going to help your guests have the courage to go start new conversations as a conversational crutch. Hey, I heard that you like to do this. I like to do that too. But it's also that structure helps break off existing conversations. And that's one of the key things. Many people are too nice to end their conversations. And so you lead these icebreakers. They actually serve not just to start new ones, but to end the existing conversations. When you stack those two and a half icebreakers together, let's say they each take about 10 or 12 minutes long, plus you have space in between, the two hours will go by before you know it. I had not ever considered that ending of a conversation. I've been in that situation. We've all been in that situation where we just don't know, okay, I feel like I've talked to you enough and you and you and you, like we're in a circle here. I feel like I've got to keep it going or someone else is trying to keep it going. And, it, you know, this is where I like, will you know, look around the room kind of without trying to let people know that I'm looking around the room to see who else is around. Oh, hey, I got to go talk to them and figure something yes. out, you know? Yes. Yes. Oh, excuse me. I'm going to go get another drink or something like that. But I mean, it happened to me. I was at a conference recently and I wish I would have, I mean, frankly, been a little more aggressive and talking to more new people. I think the good hosts are the ones that are willing to break up the room and split the conversations. When I host now, I've hosted hundreds of parties, so you don't have to get to this advanced level, but I'm constantly watching the room to see how much the crowd is circulating. That is something that I look for. And I've put some of these structured pieces into the agenda of my events that help the room to naturally circulate a little bit. Now, we've talked a little bit. Obviously, I want to come back around to the book party because that one's really interesting to me. That's just one example. Let's talk about that one and then maybe some other ideas of different types of parties and activities. I'm assuming they all still have this component of show up on time, do some icebreakers, and obviously the N-I-C-K components, but then there's the overall activity and purpose. Yeah. Yeah, you can do other themes. Here's my advice, though, for somebody who's listening to this that says, look, I know the value of building my network. I know that the best business opportunities, clients, customers, business partners, relationships, they actually come from our loose ties or our weak connections, not from our very best friends. And that's the power of a network is that when you build your network of acquaintances, more opportunities come and hosting this party or this style of event allows you to develop your network of acquaintances. 
The best piece of advice I can tell you is that you need to work this like a muscle, like anything else, just like podcasting. You're not going to start your first episode and be amazing. You have to build it up. You have to learn the skills. The same thing is true with hosting. The best people who get the biggest benefits learn how to make hosting a habit. For that reason, your first party really should be a low stakes affair. So I can give ideas about housewarming parties. I just talked to a woman yesterday who hosts an Oscars party every year. There's the book swap. You could do clothing swaps. You can do different swaps and ideas. But follow the book and the formula that your first party, it's just to get people together from your different buckets. And this is a little, it may be a little too woo-woo, but for people who think like, oh, I need to have a, a purpose, let me reassure you, you are enough. The fact that you are hosting a party at your home, that is enough of a reason to invite people. It is a very special thing that we're not doing enough of. And when you step up to that, you will be shocked at how many people not only accept your invite, but are really excited to come to your party. Now, I have probably some people who are thinking right now, as you said, inviting people to your home. They're like, "Uh, I don't know about the space that I have at my place, but I could see maybe borrowing a space or renting a space or something along those lines. My initial thought is, is that doing it in a public place might be a little more awkward and might add a little to the objections of, oh, I can't really do an icebreaker very easily when there's not just the people I don't know and the couple I do, but then all these other people around that aren't with our group that I don't know as well. It adds to the magnitude of the anxiety potentially. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of problems with hosting at bars and restaurants. I have thought about this like more than anybody probably in the whole world. And I would say that for 92% and more people, Hosting at home is the best solution, even if you think it isn't. I've heard every excuse in the book. My house is too small. My house is too far away. It's hard to park. My house is too messy. And as I dig into all these people, the answer always is, oh, yeah, you're right. I'm going to host at home. I'll talk a little bit about why. Number one, when you host at home, you have the ability to be generous, to provide for people, to give snacks, drinks, basic things. The very nature of inviting someone into your home is so powerful and it turbocharges the relationships. When you host at a bar or a restaurant or a library or community center, it just feels like a networking event. It just feels like, oh, this is like a meetup. It's not personal and private and intimate. Now, even if you're thinking, oh, my house is too small, my house is too messy, there's a woman I worked with who is a big name as a business coach online. And it just so happened that when she was starting her hosting journey, she lived in a two-bedroom apartment that what she said was, it doesn't represent what I want to project to people, that I'm this hugely successful business coach. And I said, totally valid. I get that 100%. However, I promise you that people will respect you more for stepping up and being a host and for that vulnerability of inviting them into your home. She was so nervous about it. And she did it, though. And she said, you are absolutely right. People now see me as the leader. They don't see me as someone who lives in a tiny two-bedroom home. They see me as a leader and a gatherer, as an organizer. And she actually said, now when I go to PTA meetings, I'm like a celebrity. People are like, oh, you have to meet such and such. She hosts these great gatherings. Nobody showed up to her house and said, 
look at this tiny apartment. This stinks. I'm leaving. What we think matters actually doesn't matter as much. It's all about the people. Yeah, it's definitely about that human connection. I love that idea of making it your space, using your space. And if that means you've got to do some cleaning, hey, don't let that stand in your way because sometimes that's what you need is to actually get the cleaning done is to say, oh, I'm going to have these people over. You know, it's kind of like having a family gathering. And so I got to clean the house for Thanksgiving or Christmas or whatever holiday it is. But um, I think, yeah, doing it in one of those neutral locations, though it can work again, has the possibility or a higher percentage possibility of coming across as just a a work type, more sterile, less connective possible kind of group gathering. Yeah, it's just it's harder to control the variables. And I'll include a link in the show notes about some other venues that you could do. But hosting in the home is the best. If you absolutely positively, if you are one of those 7% of people who absolutely positively cannot host at home, And once again, though, I would challenge you or send me an email or something. You probably can and should host at home. But if you absolutely positively cannot, then your move is to get a co-host. Many people have beautiful homes and they get those homes or rent those homes with the intention of hosting, but they never host. You will be shocked that you can reach out to them and be like, hey, I'm thinking about hosting a little meetup. Would you be open to kind of like co-hosting with me? Can we do it at your place? And people are so happy to have you bring friends to their house. They have to do none of the work and they just get to like welcome and show off their place. So I've even used that sometimes when I go to new cities when I'm traveling and that formula works pretty well. I love that idea too. It also can help with the idea of it being all on you or vice versa. Cause if, if that person that has the home or you're the person, whichever is the one that has the location, the other can bear more of the weight of the organizing, the facilitating or whatever. Or it's even you have a shared load instead of it all feeling like it's all your responsibility. And plus then it's easier to almost say, in the invite, hey, so-and-so and I are getting together a bunch of friends. There's already a connection happening in the kind yes. of inception of the party, right? So I love it. I love it. It also makes the invites a little easier, too. Hey, Jim and I are hosting some of our friends. But yes, there's a lot of different options. But most of my readers host at home, even if they have a tiny apartment. I have another link that I can include in the show notes. Of someone who hosted in a tiny apartment, smallest apartment ever, and it was amazing. Yeah, don't underestimate the possibility. I wasn't thinking about this at all, but I did an Oscar party this past year, and it was fun. Just had two people over, but my family was there, and one or two of the kids kept kind of coming in and out. One stayed the whole time. My wife came and went at different times. She... More so than me is the hospitality person. So she did like charcuterie stuff and brought it down and all that kind of good stuff. And so, but again, the whole gathering, I mean, and that's more than two hours because the Oscars are like three and a half or something, but still. That's a good party though. I like that is a good party. It was a great party. Honestly, I loved that. So let's talk about this book party because I know I kept throwing it out there. What is the purpose behind that? Not just the purpose, but the like the facilitation of that. You bring books you want to get rid of and then come with an open mind of other people are getting rid of stuff, too. And I can take it's almost like puzzle swap or something along those lines. Yes, exactly. It's like a book swap. And so it's not like a book trade where you just bring one book. That's one suggestion that I have for people is don't make this just a book trade where it's a one to one. Say to people, look, you may have a bunch of extra books at your home. Bring those books, set them out. Let people grab one. You can look for books as well. 
I will incorporate those books into icebreakers. So I'll say, hey, say your name, say what you do for work and show us one of the books that you brought and what you liked about it. Here's my advice for a book swap. If you're going to do this, you need a lot of table space. You need a big kitchen table. You need a dining room table. You need something where people can lay the books out. And that's really nice. Book swaps are also really good for introverts because if they don't want to talk and they need to recharge, they can just go over and browse the books and look at those. I know I do that when I go to somebody's house and they have a bookshelf. I'm like, zoop, right to the bookshelf. I want to go see what they got. That's true. I hadn't thought about that. Even maybe incorporating reading time as an activity. Hey, let's take 15 minutes and just pick up one of the books that interests you and then read about it and then have a conversation. You know, of that 15 minutes, what did you read? And were you surprised or I don't know? I'm probably making this overcomplicated as I delve into all the different splintered options here, but I'm trying to show there are options. In other words, there's a lot of options and conversational topics. I mean, remember, we want to have 18 people come to this gathering. 15 to 23 is what I say. So I say sort of 18 is good. And when you have 18 people with all these books, we can't get into the nitty gritty of every single book. But there are so many conversational things that people can talk about about these books. And frankly, nobody's been invited to a book swap at least in a year. I don't know about like your community. I haven't been invited to one in like three years. Maybe this is encouraging me. I need to host my own one of these. It's been years since I did my own. I should do it again. You definitely should. And I should, too. What are some of the other party types? You know, we've said book swap and Oscar party. What are some other ones, especially easy ones that people who've never thought they could do this are kind of getting on board, but they're not quite sure what's one that I think that I could handle? Got it. Well, I need to reiterate. I know I already said it. You don't need a theme for your first party and you shouldn't choose one. The idea that you need a theme is a crutch because you believe that you're not good enough or you believe that you need that to get the hook of people to come. That is not the case. People want to gather. They want to meet adults and have adult conversation. You will be shocked when you simply host a party that's like just called cocktails and icebreakers. That is what I have found from helping hundreds and hundreds of people. And I only talk about specific theme parties after people have hosted at least three just normal meetups, normal two-hour cocktail parties. For the advanced folks who want a theme or they want to do something, here's some that I've experimented with. I hosted small group discussions on Wednesday night for people who all had a similar shared interest. And I did certain things. Okay, there's these name tags that I like called the Qualfec 210s on Amazon. I have no affiliation. You buy 200 name tags, it's $6. But the name tags come in six different colors. And you can use that to split people into groups based on their colors to then sit down and have deeper conversations. So I did that on Wednesday. It was very successful. I have hosted a dating salon for my singles friends. Not to meet up. It wasn't speed dating or a matchmaking. It was just to share tips and tricks about what they're doing on the apps, what they're learning, what are good first date ideas, how they're talking to people, things like that. And that was more of a salon style discussion. Now, at all of my events, whether it's book swap, Oscars, dating salon, small group, there's all those same ideas, name tags, icebreakers, only two hours long. We collect the RSVPs. I send a series of three reminder messages. All of those are ideas that you can use to gather people. And what I want your listeners to know is 
everybody wants to know someone who brings people together, whether it's for movie nights, to go to the mall, to do stuff. Everybody wants to be invited to stuff. You can be that person. You just need to learn how to host good gatherings. I love it. There's so much more in the book. But also, I believe you've got like an executive summary of the book that people can grab, as well as a checklist of 19 things people can do at their party and much more. You mentioned a number of links now already. So we'll put those all up in the show notes. But Nick, it's been great talking with you. Hopefully, I can be at one of your parties someday or you come to one of mine. (laughs) Oh, my God. Please invite me. Please invite me. I want to come. I want to come and I'm working on a book tour now. I've gotten to go to a few cities. And so that would be fun to come to your place. Awesome. Awesome. I am sure there are people who are ready to take a little bit of a leap here. In fact, we should probably issue a little bit of a challenge maybe here. Oh, let's as do it. As my voice let's gets higher as I do this. Let's, <laughs> I've never done that before. That's that. hilarious. Uh, let's see. What's the best way to get people to reach out, I think, and let us know that they did this? I love to hear people on email. My email address is nick at nickgraynews.com. That's nick, N-I-C-K, at nickgray, G-R-A-Y, news, N-E-W-S, dot com. Send me an email. If you want to take the challenge, the challenge is right now, look at your calendar and pick a date about four weeks in advance and a Tuesday or Wednesday night. Just set the date. And if you want someone to hold you accountable, If you want tips and tricks, shoot me an email. I'll send you everything, a checklist, the to-do list, all that stuff. The executive summary of the book, the first five chapters even. And then if you're interested in my book, it's for sale anywhere books are sold online. I also recorded the Audible myself. I had some fun with it. Folks seem to like that. The name of the book is The Two-Hour Cocktail Party by Nick Gray. And you can find me. I'm very active, probably too active on social media at Nick Gray News, almost on all the platforms. Awesome. Nick, I will make sure to link all of that up in the show notes for this episode. It's been great talking with you. And again, hopefully you and I and people that are listening right now will meet in person for a party at some point. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Let's do it. Well, that's another podcast crossed off your listening to-do list. I hope that you enjoyed listening in on this conversation with Nick Gray as much as I did having it. Nick is very fun. In fact, you probably don't know this, but I'm going to spoil it anyway. While we were recording, he was walking on a treadmill at his standing desk. And honestly, I was amazed at the fact that it didn't really come through in the audio and it kind of boosted his spirits. He had high energy. It was fun. So... Just trust me, the guy knows what he's talking about, and this book is great. And you can get over yourself, I guess. I'm getting over myself. I am an introvert, but I recharge by myself. But that does not mean I do not want or need social interaction and building relationships. And that is what this book is about. And this is a great way to do it. It's strategic. It's self-contained. And again, we got through all those other objections you may have had. And so I think the next step is really for you to take the challenge that Nick offered. Grab the book. You can find it at the show notes at beyondthetodolist.com. Think of somebody else or think of many people, in fact, that you want to share this conversation, this podcast episode with. Share it out to them and, in fact, say, hey, I heard about this idea. I'd love to create a gathering, a party, a cocktail party, if you will. Would you like to partner with me? Would you like to attend, et cetera, et cetera? Get those juices flowing. Get those relationships and small gatherings going for all those different book swaps or clothing swaps, et cetera. I know you're going to love it. 
thank you again for sharing. Thank you so much for listening, and I will see you next episode. <laughs>